So a very good day. Welcome from Spain. It is roasting hot. It is around about 30, possibly even more. And I've got to tell you that uh, at least we've got a lovely clear day. Uh, we're going across fictionally on a plane across Spain over the uh, English Channel, come up via Wales and land in at John Lennon Airport. It used to be Speak Airport when I was growing up. And we're going to talk with Mike and Bernadette Byrne. We're going to find out about a dream, about one of my dreams, the Beatles. Of course, uh, when we were all growing up, this was a very, very special time. So without any further ado, I've got Mike and Bernadette on Skype in front of me. I can see them clearly. Uh, lovely to see you both. You look exceptionally well. Uh, but I think <laughs> it must be all the Beatles stuff that, that keeps you going. <laughs> it's, hi. Hi, Vince. Yeah, hi. Hi from Liverpool. Uh, no, no, we're, we're okay. You know, it's, I'll tell you what, it's doing this book has kind of brought it all back to us and brought our early days back. So mm -hmm. we've been reminded of so much stuff. Yeah. Well, met so you, many people. you'll yeah. probably find one or two little things that I'll throw at you quite interesting because I think we have met before, Mike. I'll tell you exactly where I think it was. Uh, in the very early days of Russell's, um, the, there was a, an event when Radio City and Radio Merseyside had a, like a little game, uh, a little game show. And it I have an idea you were there. <laughs> yeah, good God. It was called a I was, uh, I was the resident compere there. Yes. And we used to do every week an It's a Knockout competition. And we got as many, uh, famous companies in Liverpool to work against each other. So we'd have Littlewoods against Fords, you know, Blacklers against Lewis's, and of course, Radio City against Radio Merseyside. Yes. And you were there. I was there. I was actually on Radio Merseyside around about 1973 stroke 74. Um, yes. and, and I had my own show on the Tuesday mornings called Vince Tracy's Tuesday Chuckle. Um, right. And then, of course, when Radio City came along and everything started getting, you know, changed, really, uh, things <laughs> changed. And eventually I came away, went to Cornwall, lived in Cornwall for a long time. And then we came across and uh, I live here in Spain. And uh, obviously I'm yes. very proud to tell anybody of my uh, Liverpool roots. You probably see I've got a Beatles T-shirt on for today. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, basically... <laughs> You know, when you tell me about, say, for example, we go to the book next. I want to make one thing uh, abundantly clear. I've got to get clarity in my own mind. What are we actually doing more of, selling the book or selling the dream of what you actually came up with? So what's the, what's the big priority there, would you say? The, pr the priority isn't selling the book at all. We, we never went into the Beatles story with the idea of making money, Vince. We, we'd come back from Dallas, from the old Beatles City exhibition. Bernie had become a Beatle guide. I'd, I'd got really interested in tourism and the Albert Dock and the International Garden Festival. And we were, well, we were fans. I mean, we knew the Beatles in the early days, but we were fans. And we realized that Liverpool wasn't making the most of the most famous band in the world. Totally, you know, totally yeah. agree with you. And, 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 and this is also filling a gap for me because I was very disillusioned why, with a couple of things that had happened radio-wise. 
plus with the Liverpool riots and what we had in the 1982-83 type of era because yeah. uh, I, I still knew lots of people who were from um, those sort of areas, but I didn't see them as bad people at all. I also <laughs> had friends in the police and, of course, being the radio uh, connections and everything. I was quite, I won't say mixed up, but I needed to go and study, and I went and actually did a, a, a study which was called Recreation and the Community, and I compared Brixton and Toxteth. So, yeah. uh, you know, that led to me re writing a book, uh, which was basically about from Beatles, um, there we go, The Long and Winding Road, from Beatles to Benidorm. Uh, yes. So, you see, it's all about the Beatles for me. There were so many influences. Rory Storm, for example, who you played with uh, in the groups early on, um, he fell off the balcony at the Majestic Ballroom in Birkenhead. Now, yeah. at the time, we didn't know, we didn't have a clue we were going to talk like this. But I was working for Norman Baker and uh, Tony Coburn in the California club. And, of yeah. course, this was all big news to us. And, you know, when, you, when we can go back this far, I think we bring a different dimension to this is not just about, you know, a book and a dream. It's about our, about our lives. And yeah. You've, yeah. Done, you've done something which I clearly could see as uh, a exceptional and be long overdue because um, when I flew back to John Lennon Airport and uh, met some relatives from Australia and then uh, other relatives joined us from Bebbington and we all went to see the Beatles things uh, around the Albert Dock and everything. Uh, I was, my heart was bursting with pride over, you know, what was a wonderful time in my life. So yeah. tell me a bit about your relationship with Rory Storm then, because he's a lesser known, but was a huge influence on everybody, wasn't he? Um, he, was, he was a massive influence on me. I knew Rory before the Beatles. Uh, I, I started by going, my, my first band was Mike and the Thunderbirds. Which, which was one, you know, you start in your road, you start with your mate in the street, you, you start, you get your first gig at a coffee bar, which was my old school coffee bar. And um, you, you, start, you try to get good, but you start going to shows. And I was watching Rory at places like Hollyoak, uh, um, another venues, the Iron Door. And he, well, and I, I found out that he was he had a residency in Butlins in Patheli. And so me and a mate, we said, let's go there for our holidays. <laughs> we go down there, and the first thing you do is what you're going to do. Rory Storm's on at night, so you're going to watch him every night. Halfway through the week, there's a talent competition. Anyone can go in it. And so I I'm, get up, and I'm singing a whole lot of shaking going on. I've got Rory, I've got Ringo Starr, Ty, Johnny Guitar backing me. I make it my business to get to know Rory and he, he, you know, very graciously said, yeah, come on, Mike, you know, whatever, come down. When they finished the show, we used to go down to the beach at night, light fires, play guitars, sing rock and roll, skiffle. And so when I got back to Liverpool, I mean, I, I carried on with the band, you know, trying to get better with the Thunderbirds. And when Rory came back from the end of his season, he would go, he'd be at the cavern, um, the Grosvenor Ballroom, and, and, I, and the swimming pool yeah, as yeah. well, you know. Yeah. Oh, you know the story about Rory and 
at the New Brighton playing at New Brighton swimming pool and halfway through the set you know the playing what did I say you know which you can keep going for about 20 minutes <laughs> Rory Rory climbs to the top of the high the high diving board strips off he dive, dives in the water, comes out, grabs the microphone and carries on singing. What did I say? What did I say? Um, you know, so anyway, so Rory, I, we became really friends. He brought me back to his house. I met his mum and dad, Vi and, um, oh God, what's his dad's name? I've forgotten oh, his dad's name. Oh, his dad always used to disappear into the other room. As soon as the groups came, oh, he'd had enough. He couldn't stand them. He'd go in the other room. Vi would be making us chip butties. And that's how I got to know Rory. And really, he, he was... He was my hero in a way, yeah. you know, because I thought, wow, what a showman. Yeah. I want to be like that. I mean, first it was one of the Elvis. <laughs> but, you know, Rory was such a showman. And, you know, we got very friendly. And um, he, he actually renamed my, we were just called the Thunderbirds. And one night at the Grove, he said, why don't you call yourselves Mike and the Thunderbirds? Because he had a stammer. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you who's. A, I'll tell you who sadly di died a couple of years ago. But uh, I had a huge friendship with Paul Melba, and uh, you know uh, we'd often be talking about many, many things. Like, for example, I remember when Freddie Starr played in the uh, f showbiz football team, and I used to be uh, in first of all the Radio Merseyside team with Billy and and all the Radio Merseyside people, the BBC stars, and all that. And yeah. then I went with the Ricky McCabe showbiz team. So, of course, I, I was mixing all the time with people who basically uh, were talking like we're talking now. I mean, a whole lot of shaking and, and uh, what did I say? I still use those songs. So, yeah. I'm still singing them. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, uh, Them Grimbles, was that the group that took you to Germany? Yes, it was, yeah. And it was totally different from any other band in Liverpool because we had, um, it was a six-piece with a Hammond organ and a sax. Wow. So we were, we were doing more rhythm and blues and, you know, yeah. Ray Charles. Oh, lovely. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of um, Georgie Fame type stuff. Love that sort of stuff. Yeah. So that that's what got me to Germany. But we, we, we nearly didn't last very long there. <laughs> Go on. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> well, because we were... A Georgie Fame rhythm blues type band, they didn't want that kind of music oh, in Germany. They wanted rock and roll. They want you know. And yeah. uh, when when uh, I went to get my money <laughs> after the first week, the the boss of the club, her what was his name, Weisselader, mm. sat behind his big desk and went, "You are Scheiser Capelli," <laughs> which means shit group. <laughs> So we were a bit taken aback because we're only 20 years old. And uh, he said, well, well, I will not pay you. You don't get paid till you play Chuck Berry and Pretty Woman. <laughs> so we said, OK, next night. Pretty Woman walking down. <laughs> anyway, we, we lasted, yeah. So yeah. them Grimbles was a great band. I mean, I, I loved that because, you know, I, I started... I just, I just really loved uh, rhythm and blues, and I loved Ray Charles, and uh, still do. And uh, so, yeah, so it's a great band. Yeah. But it, it lasted until I joined the Roadrunners. You know? Well, funny enough, I'm still in touch with King Size Taylor, 
Um, oh. Made a couple of podcasts with him, and uh, so he's given me some background into the German side. And the yes. Roadrunners and the Pathfinders were two very, very uh, great groups close to my heart. This is, again, you see, I might have well been to your gigs because I used to go to the Kral at New mm. Brighton, and you were probably there every other week, I seem to remember. Yeah, well, I wasn't in the original Roadrunners, Vince. Okay. I was in, I was in Roadrunners Mark two and a half, I think. <laughs> okay. what, had, what had happened, Mike Hart, you know, he... He left. He left the band. When he left the band, that's when I joined. So they needed a singer. Um, I'd, Grimbles had just kind of come to a, an end because we'd been promised a recording contract and nothing came of it. Yeah. So I got a bit disillusioned and then met the Roadrunners. <clears throat> excuse me. I met the Roadrunners um, road manager who was Bob Adcock who you might know that name, he went on to uh, work with Eric Clapton. Anyway, Bob bumped into him in the Blue Angel, and he said, uh, what are you doing, Mike? I said, well, I've just, you know, I've just left the Grimbles. He said, well, the Roadrunners want a singer. I said, great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway, you know, I, that's how I joined the Roadrunners. And, and with the Roadrunners, we went to Germany again and Switzerland, yeah. yeah. So that was great, yeah. Okay, well, uh, I mean, I'm probably marginally younger than you, marginally. Um, uh, we're probably, if we're looking at the scene, I would say I would be one of the kids that would go to watch the groups. Um, yes. And I'd also be, I, I, I did start... I, I'm not. I'm okay on the guitar and the harmonicas, um, and and basically, you know, all through my life, I've been able to go. In fact, I started a cabaret act, and we've sung in America and Australia and Russia, and yeah. um, Tenerife done a season there, and obviously we've come out this way on the continent. So, um, yeah. what is uh, the point of me telling you this? The point is that without having a good wife with me, I don't know whether I would want to have done it. So, um, tell us about how you met you and. Uh, De- I think you, you, your nickname is Det, isn't it? Mm? It's Bernie. Well, no, Bernie some Det. people call yeah. it Det. Or Bernie Det. Um, okay. I'm in Det because of that. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, it was Bernie. It's Ber- Bernie, you know. Family used to call most, me Det. Most of, uh, okay, I did pick up Det somewhere, yeah. 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 So um, we, we met um, in the Cardoma. You know the KD? Yes, I do, yes. Yeah, so the Cardoma was um, a chain of coffee bars and... Yeah where you'd go for your cheese on toast. <laughs> and uh, we used to go there after the cavern. And and my my drummer in Damn Grimbles was a guy called Pete Clark, who'd been with the escorts. Okay, I know the name, by the way, but I don't, yeah, don't know anything yeah. of him. Pete, Pete's in America now. But um, Pete was Pete's girlfriend was Bernie's best friend, Rini. And uh, so Pete said, oh, I'm just going down the Cardona to meet, meet my girlfriend. And I tagged along, and th- there was Bernadette sitting opposite me, <laughs> looking like a young Bridget Bardot. I thought, oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> yes. So um, that's that's how we met. And uh, and th- later that day, I think we, she said, oh, "I'm going to the Blue Angel tonight." Is that right? Yeah. I can't remember. That's yeah. A long time ago. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah. So we met late. Met later that night, and Alan Williams's Blue Angel. Now I met. 
um, Alan Williams when I was the DJ at the cabin, not the cavern. Uh, Billy Butler, uh, of course, uh, I, I yeah. didn't know so much through the clubs because I think he was singing with the uh, tornadoes, not the tornadoes, tuxedos. tuxedos that's right. Um, uh, but uh, where Pete Price started his career with the Liverpool cabin. I started uh, in the Birkenhead cabin, and so uh, and and another thing that might have crossed your path. My sister Rita used to go to the Blue Angel. Um, this was sort of um, in the very early days, so she would have been, I don't know, one of the groupies. I would imagine. Uh, does yeah. the name Pete Ritson mean anything to you, by the way? No, it, no, it doesn't. No. Okay. No, sorry. Okay. Uh, he was in one of the big groups as a bass player, and I can't remember which one at the moment. Okay, but Bernadette was pretty friendly with with George Harrison, from what I read. So, uh, can we develop that a little bit? Is it, you know, uh, quite sort of in depth? Oh well. Before she before she got you know became George's girlfriend, uh, you know. Her history is started at Hambledon Hall. Mm. Go on. Oh yeah, uh, Hambled, I don't know if you ever went to Hambledon Hall. No, I didn't. No. Well, it was it was rough. one of those clubs that was in a rougher part of Liverpool, where you were kind of forbidden to go by your parents. Um, we used to go to Lowlands regularly, which was opposite the Casbar Club in West Derby. Yeah. And um, we saw. I didn't see the Beatles there, but we did see the Hollies and. Rory Storm and other local bands at Lowlands. And then we'd been told, you know, we were just getting our feet to get out and go out on our own. And we were told by our parents we must never go to Hamilton Hall because it was in a very rough area. So we got ourselves ready this particular night. Off we went, uh, said we were going to Lowlands, but got the bus and went the other direction to Hamilton Hall. Anyway, um, it's the first time we'd been. We actually went to see Farron, would you believe, who oh. was doing an Elvis impression. You know, he had his white suit. Yes. And uh, we'd gone to see him. And um, when we went there, we used to have a, not a proper cloakroom. There was like an area that was like a wash basins and toilets, and you hung your coats in there. And uh, we went, and always, as usual, when we wanted to see the group, you'd push your way to the front and get as close as you could. Anyway, Farron was on, Jerry and the Pacemakers were on, and then at the end of the night, the Beatles appeared, and that was the first time we'd seen them, and we thought, wow, they look strange. They've got leather coats on, leather jackets and cowboy boots. But at the time, we were very friendly, uh, very fond, should I say, of Eddie Cochran. Eddie oh, Cochran yeah. was I our hero. I wasn't an Elvis fan. I liked Cliff Richard mm. and Eddie Cochran, and, you know, we were devastated when he was killed. But we looked at John and we thought, wow, he looks like Eddie Cochran. <laughs> uh, at this time, Stuart was at the back, but we couldn't see. He had his head down. He had his dark sunglasses on. I don't even know if he was actually playing, but he was there. Um, we can remember they all had these leather jackets and cowboy boots, except Paul, who seemed to have like a, a like a corduroy reefer jacket on and um, little ankle boots. They were, you know, which we came to recognize with the Beatles later. Yeah. Anyway, they went down a storm. They said they'd just come back from Germany and we loved their music. And we said, oh, we'll go and see them again. And then um, after it was over, we thought, well, we better get off home. You know, we're not supposed to be here. When we went to the get our coats, somebody had been in and vandalized the toilet area. The wash basins were broken off the wall. And my friend's coat, Joan, my friend, her coat had been stolen. So, um, anyway, we were standing outside, two 15-year-olds, crying our eyes out. What are we going to do? How are we going to explain where her coat's gone? And the, we've been to Hamilton Hall. 
and Jerry came out. Jerry was unloading his equipment, and um, he said, if you wait till we unload the gear, we'll give you girls a lift home. He must have felt sorry for us. Yeah. So that was my first experience of seeing the Beatles. Yeah. And after that, when we heard they were at the cabin, well, that's where we used to go. This podcast is brought to you via my favourite platform, Skype. Now, maybe it was just after this sort of time I started work. I would have just left school at 16. My first job was up at the university in the admin department. And uh, basically, we had another sort of, um, well, a guy used to come in. uh, Billy Little used to come in, by the way, to get his stationery from me, which was a a big, big thing for me, you know. Yeah, Um, and then I, I I got myself involved with the, there was a branch um, of Lawtons of Liverpool uh, down in Whitechapel. So at lunchtime I used to go across to the cavern. So you know I was going there and I had been uh, during the night time. My girlfriend at the university had been going out with Eddie Parry, who was the singer with the um, Denisons. Yes, yeah, yeah. You know, so, it, I mean, it, it all sort of, it's all very, very much uh, in, in vogue. I mean, I, there was me with, with all my Beatles stuff on, everything the Beatles bought, I sort of seem to get. Um, but let's jump a little bit then uh, as we go away from Beatlemania, not because I don't want to, because I could talk about this all day, and I love the, the, the way we're talking, uh, but it's the post six. Uh, the demise of the cavern and mm-hmm. the uh, arrival of the riots, which of course were exceptionally torrid times for people from um, obviously Upper Parliament Street, but I mean, it, the whole area was affected. I lived on the Wirral and we could see what was going on on the other side of the water. So, you know, um, it, it wasn't a nice time for anybody. So, um, where did you pick it up with the Garden Festival? Because it was about this time that we'd started to formulate ideas of going down to live in Cornwall. I was getting quite upset about bringing the children up in, mm-hmm. you know, what was happening. Yeah. And, um, and, of course, we did have Norman Tebbit telling us we all got to get on our bikes, which probably helped me. <laughs> and yes. um, uh, so when the Garden Festival came along, um, and obviously we then had the militants, so I was looking more in the press and the TV for this, this type of information. Um, and then we went through that really horrible time. So about that time, I would imagine that uh, the tourism was looking at quite a few things. I actually, my degree was tourism related, and so I was taking an intense interest in what was at a distance, my home area, and what yes. was happening. So we knew about the festival, but um, uh, the, the, the words proper jobs sprang to my mind because I see exactly the same words that I'd heard about, you know, what I should be doing is getting a proper job. So was the proper job um, for you, Mike? Was that somebody telling you it's about time you get a proper job? Yeah, yeah. Well, it was the end, end of the 60s, um, and uh, the 70s, I'd gone through all the cabaret thing, you know, with Russell's and yeah. all that. And then at the end of that, um, we just thought, you know what? Because, well, at the end of the 60, uh, 70s, disco came in. Yeah. And this disco kind of took over from the cabaret clubs. Absolutely. And, um, so I thought, I, so I went on the road for a couple of years with an act. Um, and then 
and oh I actually worked with Ken Dodd uh, quite a lot at the end of the 70s I did I did the Christmas season with Ken brilliant. at the Royal Court uh, which was brilliant yeah. exceptional you know anyway so Ken and I became friends and we, we remained friends until his death can I just uh, jump in one second and quickly tell you I can't believe these coincidences because I was involved with things Ken was doing at the um, at the Cyclotron unit in Port in um, Clatterbridge, and right. I ran a marathon, the first Wirral Marathon in 1982, to raise money for that event, and then right. worked with him to give the check, uh, which uh, we, we we raised about three thousand pounds for that particular event. Brilliant. Sorry yeah. to interrupt. So we're back with yeah. you and Ken. Yes. Yeah, so anyway, so at the end of that, you know, I, again, you, you know, you get to a stage where you come a bit of disillusioned and our kids were growing up. And I thought I, I need to get my mum used to say, Michael, when are you going to get a proper job? And she continued saying that till she died, actually. So um, so I went to work for Mersey Mart and Mersey Mart was the first free newspaper in Liverpool. Right. And the owner was my best a really good friend called phil Bertwistle. okay and he he was the first investor in the Beatles story but going back to working for him and it wasn't a proper he job it was um <laughs> it was uh, i was the promotions manager for for want of a better word what he wanted he wanted to to get some interest in the paper it was all adverts as you know yeah free newspapers adverts so he wanted to get some something a bit lighter in so he said mike go out and get some stories uh do you know put some stories into the paper and i had carte blanche really so i could go anywhere anyway at the beginning of that 1981 we get the riots so i'm at mersey mart i'm we're getting we had a slight news because we were getting the news and then some one of our clients started um a thing against militant oh no that sorry that was a bit later so, so, uh, um, so the riots really were pretty bad and we'd made a decision not to not to publicize the riots because we weren't a newspaper we were a free advertising paper right. so we left that to the echo etc anyway so I ended up at Mersey Mart but during that time because of the freedom I heard about Michael Heseltine coming to Liverpool, spending three weeks here going, what can we do for Liverpool? Yeah. We've got to make it a better city. Mm -hmm. So he came up with the idea of regenerating the Albert Dock, turning it, in, turning it into the Covent Garden of the North. Yeah. And then also he saw this tract of land near Otterspool. Yeah, I know where you are. You know, and we can we can turn that into a garden festival, yeah. which had been started in Germany after yeah. the war, by the way. Right. So it was um, the most incredible six months. Mm -hmm. I and I was very lucky having a press pass. I could go down every day. So I was at the Albert Dock. I was at. So I I saw the regeneration of Liverpool mm -hmm. from that point of view. Yeah. And Bernadette at the same time. Answered an echo advert saying Beetle Guides wanted. Oh, well, well, this is so, so interesting. Um, you see, you went that route. I was prompted by not getting the break at the radio station, and I went down to Cornwall. 
I started working on a newspaper. And see the links again, Mike. It's just amazing. <laughs> I started working for the Western Morning News uh, in Plymouth, and then I actually talked them into giving me a, a, a desk and a, an office in Truro, and I came up with an idea for the whole of Cornwall. Uh, then, because of the way things happened, um, there was an advert in my own paper, which I was doing the adverts like you were, and uh, it was for a mature degree. Now, I didn't think I was ever going to be up to that sort of level. <laughs> I went along to the college. I ended up the three, uh, three and a half years I was there, and uh, my thesis was riot or recreation. Uh-huh. And I was studying the links between the housing and the way that people behaved and the way that we... I mean, see, I didn't see Liverpool as a militant city. I knew militants were about, but I saw lots of nice things like all the lads. I used to run uh, Saturday night at the Reese's uh, in Clayton Square. And yeah. uh, all the, the all the black lads have come down, and they teach me all the James Brown dances, and like yeah. I, I was I was their mate, and you know yeah. I mean all this stuff that's coming about now with this Black Lives Matter, you yeah. know I I did, Liverpool wasn't like that for me. It yeah. never was with any of my friends either. Yeah. So oh. annoying. Um, okay, so now um, what really um, I was trying to find difficult to uh, negotiate was. How you how did you have to leave Liverpool with a Liverpool Beatles display? I mean, what was the background to all that happening? Well, the Garden Festival was a massive success. That's 1984. Yeah. So, so we were we were left after the Garden Festival with um, Beatles City. We'd had the art of the Beatles. Um, the tall ships race came. Albert Gock was beginning to get busy, but only by tourists. Um, Liverpool people didn't go to the Albert Dock. They thought it was for the tourists, because it was quite expensive, to be honest. Um, Anyway, so so what happened was the the Garden Festival closed in 84. They offered it to the Liverpool City Council, and that was Derek Hatton at the time, who said, I don't. We don't want gardens. We want jobs. So the council turned down the garden festival. MDC carried it on uh, the next year. And then the following year, a guy from London, John Anton, came along and said, I'll take over the garden festival and we'll call it Transworld Festival Gardens. And I'll turn it into... uh, an Alton Towers type place. I'll bring in big rides. Anyway, so this is 1986, and I was getting a bit disillusioned with Mersey Mart because it, my job t- turned uh, from promotions to more advertising, selling, yeah. Yeah. and I didn't want to do that. Understand that because completely. We had a, the advert in the Echo, events manager wanted for Transworld. Oh. Brilliant. <laughs> I'll have a go at that. So I get that job. Great. I've got I've got six weeks to arrange six months entertainment. <laughs> so anyway, fortunately, I had a lot of contact from my old days with cabaret, with running shows. Anyway, so I managed to do that, and we opened to a great big fanfare. You know, we had a land train. We we had um, some some uh, you know big big event type things. Unfortunately, the the people who ran the marketing side were absolutely rubbish. 
<laughs> and we also had a bad summer of rain. And so it failed. Yeah. And at the end of the su season, we were the managers, there were four managers, me being one, we were brought into the chief executive's office and he said, sorry, we're, we're closing in two weeks. Uh, you're all out of a job. And he went, oh, hang on, there is, there's one job going. And I went, I'll have it. Good. And it was it was the manager of Beetle City wow. because they had they had bought Beetle City. Yes. Wow. So I I, I ended up, you know, September '86, sitting behind a desk in Beetle City, going, "What am I doing here?" Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't a manager. I was a promotions manager. I was, you know, I was. You're probably a better manager. Probably a better manager by all the things that you've done because well, it gives you the experience, doesn't it? Maybe so, um, you know, it all, it all, you know, it was in good stead for my future, <clears throat> and then, so, it so we do good. that. But Be Beetle City by then, you know, that had been opened by Radio City in '84, and that wasn't a success. It was in the wrong place. It was the wrong time, and it didn't have the. It had great memorabilia, but it didn't have a story. So it didn't bring ordinary people in. Yeah only Beatle fans and there wasn't enough in 84 85 anyway so it was failing and um this other guy comes along and says i'm the new owner i want to take it to america will you come with me and i said okay yeah of course oh, wow. i i didn't have another job and he, and he wanted bernadette as well Great. because she was a Beatle guide yeah. and of course she'd been out with george harrison <laughs> right so what was the name of this guy this was a guy called John Simons, who who liked to be called JR, because <laughs> we were going to Dallas. Well, that, I think that makes a lot of sense for me. Incidentally, I've just remembered there's another coincidence. I was also comparing at the Hamilton Club in Birkenhead. Yeah. So, again, you know, it, it's so many things that uh, oh. are, are... This is... Okay. Well, I, I, I played the Hamilton... Uh, I when I went solo, I was I was booked there two two full weeks. I think we might have crossed paths um, in probably 1979. Um, and uh, do you remember who Paul Brooks was on the organ? Well, I remember Brooks. that we used to have uh, the Hamilton Sound. Uh, yes, that was yeah. Brilliant. And, and they were, they were exceptionally good. And funny yeah. enough, oh yeah, great musicians. And do you remember uh, that wonderful drummer Eric Delaney? Uh, yes. Because basically, a lot of the people that were coming into the uh, the Hamilton at that time, when I came to Benidorm and got myself on the radio here, uh, yeah. they were all you know coming to the end of their career. So I was doing testimonials for people like George Roper, and um, <laughs> sadly, you, you know, uh, a, a lot of the people were just sort of near the end of their lives. And it was it was, um, but it, it was nice because I could represent Liverpool in a nice way because yeah. the radio oh, yeah. station was just a bit further away from Benidorm. And up till the time that I got uh, into the, that situation, I don't think they encouraged many of the acts to come near them because they uh, seemed to. I don't know. They didn't seem to want to know the showbiz uh, side of things. Right. So, you know, so I, I was very fortunate. I rubbed shoulders with some lovely people. And, oh, yeah. you know, well, Eric Delaney had a residency there, didn't he? He's a lovely man, lovely man. And uh, I, I mean, I got to know his family um, when he died. Of course, obviously, you put nice tributes together. And uh, 
you know, it, it life is full of these sadnesses, but also it's bittersweet because I, I would rather yes. have met him than not have met him, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we're, we're off to um, Dallas and we've got uh, JR at the helm. And <laughs> would you say that that period of time was a success or was it something that you've got um, mixed feelings about? Well, um, it was a success in America, uh, a great success. I mean, Bernie was a celebrity there. She, she really was because um, she, she came over for about a month with the kids and um because she was you know from liverpool yeah but then when they the americans found out that she dated paul mccartney and george harrison really seriously she was a celebrity i can guess and, that um, everyone wanted her autograph and yeah sisters fantastic and, and, and anyone related to us Oh, you're from Liverpool. Give me your autograph. But honestly, Bernie was, you know, um, we were looked after very well in Dallas. Yeah, we made a lot of good friends. Because, um, we, you know, we were at the Hard Rock Cafe. We had VIP membership there. And yeah. we saw some great acts there. Um, but we were looked after very well. But it, because, and it, it got 40,000 visitors in three months. Wow. Which was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, we were on the fourth floor of an old warehouse a bit like albert dock right. it was a very old warehouse and we were set up on the fourth floor um unfortunately it was there was no aircon and we arrived in 107 degrees yeah so but it was a great experience and what it taught us was that the beatles were still very much in everyone's thoughts, even though Liverpool didn't love them anymore. Yeah. No, you no, know? listen, listen. I, I can relate to this because my folks uh, were from Palm Springs. Uh, I say my folks, it's my wife's folks. And so when we went across and started doing our various things, uh, I actually had somebody from Palm Springs uh, who was on the radio with me in Spain, and we'd talk about things like... And every time I got the chance... I'd put the record straight. Incidentally, in 1986, I think it was, I was on the radio in France, and uh, when the Heisel event t- took place, I was fielding all sorts of people telling me terrible things about Liverpool, and I was saying, yes. hang on, you know, do me a favour. This is, this is one yeah. of the greatest cities in the world we're talking about. Yes. And, yeah. and yeah. so I was able to, I was able to represent um, Liverpool in our area in a way yeah. that other people yeah. probably couldn't, yeah. you know. Yes, yeah. And so we realised at the end of our tenure in Dallas, uh, in the in the end, that the exhibition was a great success, but the relationship between JR and the company who were in partners with him, which was the West End Marketplace, where we've set up, yeah. and also the main sponsor, which was South Fork Ranch, the relationship between those three really soured. They didn't get on. The cowboy at South Fork Ranch didn't pay the money. (laughs) (laughs) So I ended up at at Christmas Eve, 1987, without a job. I I just, I went, hello, I'm going. (laughs) I hadn't been paid. So I I booked a flight and uh, arrived at Gatwick Airport Christmas Eve with no job. (laughs) But, but with this... The both of us had realised, wow, isn't, you know, look at the, well, how successful was Beatles City in Dallas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We came back to the tourist board 
and said to them, look, we've got to have a Beatle exhibition here. Unfortunately, the head of the tourism board in Liverpool at the time wasn't a Beatle fan. He came from, where did he come from? <laughs> Was he Iranian or? I can't believe that somebody would, would uh, anyway, this is the world that we live in anyway. It's gone more and more yeah. stupid ever since. Yeah. I can understand how silly that would be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I, didn't, I didn't rest. I just kept going in because I didn't have a job. <clears throat> so I had to go back to show business a bit, you know, ring all my agents and say, can I have some work, please? <laughs> so um, I end up going Saturday, fr Saturday, Sunday back to the social clubs. <laughs> but Bernie, Bernie, went, Bernie, by that time, was doing really well with tours, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, it was, it was getting busy. Yeah. But, you know, Bernie was out every, you know, three, four times a week. And hairdressing. She was keeping yeah. me. She was keeping <laughs> In me. In the manner he was accustomed to. Yeah, I don't know about that. Um, so so I, I kept going into the tourist board and seeing this guy and saying, look, come on, we've got to have a Beatle exhibition. The other one's not coming back. Yeah. Even though he said he was, he wasn't He wasn't coming back. Yeah. Uh, so Beatle City was was frozen in America. They, had, they put an injunction against it, so it never moved for, for a year. Anyway, so to get rid of me, the head of tourism, who didn't like the Beatles, gave me 1,600 quid and said, go away and do a feasibility study on why Liverpool needs a Beatle exhibition. <laughs> said, OK. Fantastic. <laughs> anyway, yeah, thank you very I much. Said, <laughs> I said, what's a feasibility study? <laughs> <laughs> OK. <laughs> I, it's what a shame. I was down in Cornwall, just come out of college, and I would have loved to have been able to help you, but, I, you know, <laughs> what a shame. Okay, so so who helped you with your feasibility study then? Uh, my dad's accountant. Oh, God yes. love him. Yeah. yeah, so my dad's accountant, Chris Morland, he said, this is what it is. And so suddenly I became this re researcher, and I had to find, oh, I had to, I had to do so much, you know, research yeah. and development, all the facts and figures wow. from all the tourism boards, uh, how many people had visited the Albert Dock, how many people, mm -hmm. you know, oh, so suddenly, you know, I'm doing all these facts and figures, writing why, uh, and, um, you know, saying why the American experience, the Japanese, because I don't know if you know, Vince, at the time, there were 50,000 Japanese in a Beatles Japanese fan club. Incredible. Mm -hmm. You know, so all these facts went into my feasibility study. And then halfway through doing this, I came home one day and I said, you know what? I'm fed up of working for someone else. Let's open it ourselves. Good. Good. <laughs> Incidentally... Uh -huh. Your Japanese thing, we were down in Cornwall taking, because we needed, like yourself, needed to get money, we'd started a little business where kids would come from all around the world to stay with us to learn English. I had a, a lad came from Japan uh, who could play the guitar, and yes. uh, we got him to play a number of the Beatles songs, and then we took him up to Liverpool. It nearly blew his mind away. I mean, yeah. he, 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 that's exactly what you were saying about that. That fan oh, massive. Just incredible. Yeah. The Japanese. Well, well I, I went on to try and learn Japanese, would you believe? I'm still trying. Oh. <laughs> Very trying, he says. I, 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 I think it's, you know, it, they are such lovely people. Um, I, I, I am also a judo coach, which is why I love Japanese. Oh. 
So yeah. I, I can't believe all these different things that we're talking the about. Yeah. I know. And the fact that Liverpool, you know, again, didn't embrace the Beatles. I mean, they never, there is still, I would probably today, there's probably still people who go, well, what have the Beatles done for Liverpool? Yeah. Well, funny enough, you see, I, I, I often have this out with Don. You know, we do a weekly podcast. Uh, he's done a lovely song about the Beatles, actually. But then oh, every time the Beatles things come up, um, he tells me he's not a big Beatles fan. I said, well, you should be because basically, and, you know, I catalogue everything. That, but, I mean, realistically, um, you, you can never sort of legislate for people's taste and also their own experience that's going yes. on in the background. So, yes. no, I'm, I'm thoroughly 100% Beatles. Um, I mean, when you were going down to um, uh, Real, was it? Uh, or was it Patheli? Um, was, wasn't Ring, Ringo the drummer down there at the time? Oh, yes, of course, yeah. yeah. Ringo was the drummer yeah. in, until until August 1962. Right. You know, yeah. of course he was, you know. Mm-hmm. And he, he was just, he was then, he was even featured then. Because mm-hmm. Rory used to halfway through the show go, ladies and gentlemen, it's Ringo star time. Yes. You know, so Ringo was... was uh, um, he was established yeah. as a as a solo entertainer anyway, you know. Yeah. And Johnny Guitar had his spot, you know. Yeah. So Rory was generous that way. It's Ringo mm. Star time, and Ringo would Ringo would sing Boys or Honey Don't, you know. Yeah, he's still doing them. <laughs> yeah, same here. <laughs> this podcast is brought to you via my favourite platform, Skype. Okay, uh, right. Okay, so now you you've begun to dream about this fabulous new idea that you could maybe create in Liverpool. Long overdue. You've got all these negatives from people that basically just want to give you a bit of, a bit of money and send you away to go do a feasibility study. So how did you how did you get to grips with it? Because I mean, it's become a huge project, and uh, having been there and seen. Um, a lot of it for myself, obviously on visits from afar. Um, I can tell you, we were delighted when we went and saw things there, you know. But uh, where, do, where do you pick it up for your bit that came in to fruition? Well, I did a visit to the dump. Well, mm. Bernie will tell you this, this. Yeah, I had. We were with them um, being a, a Beatle guy. Well, uh, I eventually took another exam, which is a blue badge. You, know, you probably heard National um, Blue Badge Guides. Mum was blue badge as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. And um, so we uh, had a, a recce one day down to the Albert Dock and we went down into the basement. It hadn't even been developed, uh, but they were showing us what was going to happen at the Albert Dock. And um, we were planning this at home and we'd done our sketches and things of how we'd like it to look. Fabulous. When I went back to Mike, I said, I've seen it. I've seen oh. where we should put it. Um, I said, down underground, it hasn't been developed yet. It looks just like the cavern. Oh, lovely. Because it hadn't been developed and it had the brick archways and everything. And having gone to the cavern, we knew it well, you know. Yeah. So you came down to have a look, didn't you? And, um, well, that was it. That was the start of it, really. We just said, we, we, we said, right, we, we've got the place where it can be. Mm. We've got the design, which we'd done, 18 different features. <clears throat> I'd taken my business plan to Phil Bertwistle, my old boss at Mersey Mart. He came back within a week and said, Mike, 
I'll give you a hundred thousand pounds towards it, Brilliant. which is such a commitment on, on on an unknown thing. Yeah, that was fantastic, and that's what spurred me on really um, to carry on. So I was dealing with the um, English Tourist Board, trying to get a grant off them, which I got sixty thousand pound grant promised. Um, we raised forty thousand pound ourselves. We didn't have any money, but mm -hmm. we we did it with our mortgage, and my dad lent us mm -hmm. some money. So we had forty grand, uh, and then Phil went out and got two two friends, two friend, well, so called friends, and they put a hundred and fifty thousand in. So you know, suddenly we had three hundred thousand, and we thought, oh, we can do it with that. <laughs> and then I went out to one of these. Um, big accountant firm who tell you what what you can do with three hundred thousand pound with an exhibition yes and they said you won't do what you want to do with three hundred thousand you're going to need seven hundred thousand so suddenly we were faced with the oh god what do we do do we abandon this now or do we try and get it and uh luckily through the mdc a contact there, they they put me in touch with Wembley Stadium. Wow. And Wembley, Wembley the was the chairman, was a scouser. Sir Brian Wilson. Wow. Yeah. And they, at that time, besides running the stadium and football, they were they were expanding they? and they, they'd taken over the Needles exhibition at the Isle of Wight and uh, they had their own football tour at the stadium and so they were looking to expand and the obviously my business plan impressed him great and so they put the balance of the money in so we we had the money but then <laughs> then we had to design it and build it and also get permission mm. but it's a listed building it's um <clears throat> when a listed building you can only do so much you can't pull things down or knock walls down or anything so the permission i was thinking of was from uh, our friends at apple oh yes, yes. <laughs> right <laughs> that's, okay. that's another story <laughs> oh dear oh dear so mm -hmm. when i mean Obviously, all this detail is in the book. And let me just quickly tell our listeners the birth of the Beatles story, our time with the Beatles and how we became the founders of the most successful Beatles exhibition in the world. You can get a hardback and this is all, I'll quickly say Waterstones, but, you know, research and you'll find you can get this from a lot of places. Um, now, um, because obviously of pressures of time now, I've got, got to ask you, what did uh, the remaining Beatles, because at this time we'd begun to lose members of the group, and uh, how did they sort of react to all what was going on? Oh, well, I, I, think, I think basically they don't react to any of these commercial things because their policy is to not to not cooperate with any outside uh, developments or ideas. They, after, you know, 90, after John was murdered and, and to the end of the 80s, they'd all gone their separate ways anyway. Yeah. And Neil Aspinall, their faithful servant, he was then managing director. He was in charge of everything. <clears throat> And basically, they didn't 
they didn't want anything to know anything about any other commercial things. But I had meetings eventually with Neil Aspinall and uh, convinced him that Liverpool needed a Beatles exhibition because of all these people, thousands of people coming to Liverpool every day yeah. looking for a focal point to yeah. go to. Yes, yes, you had Matthew Street, mm -hmm. you had Penny Lane, Strawberry Fields, the Homes, but there was In no the no the focal point. And if anyone, so so that's we basically convinced them that. Yes, we'd go ahead. But the first thing Neil Aspinall said to me was, I don't want you to do it. <laughs> but, you know, what they did in the end, I, I said, I don't think you can stop me, can you, Neil? Very bravely. <laughs> and he went, he said, well, maybe not. Anyway, so I think we got the, I said, can I have that in writing? And he went, no. <laughs> so so we opened the exhibition without permission from Apple right. which was which Perfect. was a very risk very risky um but we wrote to them all of course we wrote to Yoko and uh, on behalf of John George was still alive then we wrote to them all we got polite letters back from George and Ringo and we got a good luck letter from Paul good Matt Paul said good luck mm -hmm. yeah um, but none of none of them came to the opening <laughs> because they weren't they weren't supporting anything, you know. That that's a shame, and I can I, I can understand they probably reluctantly would not want to sort of get behind something like that. But I, I I suppose really you see the world's become a very wicked place since we were young kids enjoying the music. <laughs> you know, I mean I I can see your dream and I can understand your dream because I was part of the dream in the early days, whereas I don't yeah. think maybe the world doesn't operate like a nice place at the moment. And, yeah. um, you yeah. know, I mean, if if it sort of is of any comfort to you, I can tell you that when we came across, we were meeting Australian relatives that are flying up to meet us in Liverpool. Uh, we had our family in Bebbington coming down. We all met and we went to see all the different parts that were then available. It's about five years ago or something now, um, which was wonderful. Our son and his Canadian wife have only just gone last week. And I mean, I've just got my, my phone is practically clogged up with uh, <laughs> pictures about, I mean, it, it, this uh, D is wife. I can't tell you the joy that is in her heart. She's a big Stones fan, funnily enough. But oh. because, obviously, since we've come on come on the scene and she married John, our son, uh, she's obviously become embroiled in our Liverpool and Merseyside-ness, you know. Um, yes. So, you know, I can, I can see, really, where all the uh, negatives and um, horrible side of what you've tried to do would be. And I don't always think it's probably envy and malice, I just think it's because people don't have what we've had. We've had a very special part of life. Yeah. I don't yeah. think we, I don't think people are going to get this again. Not in certainly our lifetime. Yeah. You no. know. Well, technology's taken over everything, hasn't it? I know it suits us now with this kind of thing, but you can find out anything anything you like, even your bank account numbers or somebody else's. Yeah. Uh, technology, so it's it's so but, different. But it was so it was such a great time that we were part of in yeah. the early days the tourism side was also a great part even though it was so difficult and people were against it 
it was still an exciting time because we always felt we were kind of pioneers, you know. And we, we and I mean, one thing in my life, I like a challenge. Yeah. You know, yeah. seriously, you know, and I've always liked a challenge and and Beatles story was the biggest challenge of our life. And, and we we were successful. And 32 years on, it's still there getting 300,000 visitors a year. So we're very proud of that yeah. fact. And even though we don't have anything to do with it day to day anymore, but there's a great team down there who understand what we try to do. Yeah. Um, just another name that quickly sprang to my mind, Ray Woods, uh, Merseyside, I think it was the other side of the water, was yeah. Yeah. tourism. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember he was in his early days when I represented um, Birkenhead in a judo tournament in France. And oh, wow. uh, I sat next to him on the plane. So, you know, yeah. he, he, we were beginning to talk about some of his dreams at that time, yes. you know. Yes. So, oh, Ray, Ray, Ray was great. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I knew him in the... We, we've just... I actually, I actually did something because he was obviously... He, was, he worked for the council, didn't he? As, yes, he did. As the tourism, the tourism chief mm. um, with Carol Jackson. Carol Jackson, yeah. Yeah, and... Um, and he actually asked me to do a feasibility study for him later on wow. for Wirral. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and the Wirral Beetle connections. Yeah. So I've got that somewhere. Oh, I've got another <laughs> name for you. Uh, Ray O'Brien. Does that name ring a bell? Yes. Yeah, yeah Ray O'Brien. Yeah, yeah. 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 He, he's, he's, uh, yeah he, he wrote a book, didn't he, about there are places. Yeah, uh, he, he yeah. came over to uh, the radio station, which um, uh, I worked on. And uh, uh, then there's another name for you, Chris Wharton. Does that name ring any bells? He was the original uh, manager of the Big Three, I think. Chris Wharton. Oh, oh, I thought Chris Wharton was Billy Butler's mate. He is. He is. It's the same, yes. same guy. Uh, they were in, in yeah. cahoots, weren't they, at the, um, oh, what, the, what, what, the Mardi Gras, that's right. The Mardi Gras, Mardi Gras yeah. yeah. And, um, which which played yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, look, um, what can I do from this? What I will do is I'll put it on my website. Um, I'll think carefully about where my links will go. I mean, obviously, I'll put a note as to uh, where they can buy, people can buy the, the book. And I also will put a link to the Merseyside uh, places that they can go and visit and see for themselves how your dream became reality. Yes. Um, yeah. If yeah. He, thank you very much indeed for our chat today. And oh. let me just remind our listeners, uh, our chat today has been with Mike and Bernadette Byrne. And uh, please have a look at the book. Do what I did. Read it. Get hold of it. Get your hands on a copy. It is riveting. Mike and Bernadette, thank you very much indeed for your company. Thank you. Thank you very much, Vince. Yeah. In the town where I...